This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, the situation in Gaza continues to deteriorate and continues to be catastrophic for Palestinians. The 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza right now are facing unprecedented famine and starvation. And in addition to that, the threshold or the number of Palestinians have, that have been murdered by the Israeli genocide has topped the 30,000 mark. Over 30,000 Palestinians have been murdered by the Israeli military, and that includes 14,000 children at least. 65,000 or more have been injured. Thousands and thousands remain unaccounted for. The situation is grim. So today's show, we're going to be covering all of the uh, recent developments as well as the political developments in the catastrophe as the prospects for a peace deal, which President Biden announced last week, continue to fall short. We're going to be also talking about a really uh, crime against humanity, Jamal. You know, uh, the Israeli military murdered 100 Palestinians uh, the last week while they were lining up for food. So in the process of lining up for food, facing starvation and famine, the Israeli military opened fire and killed 100 men, women, and children. We're going uh, to be covering that story. In addition, and this is really kind of um, a grotesque kind of act, uh, the United States military dropped 38,000 MREs, meals ready to eat, in the water in Gaza for the 2.3 million Palestinians facing starvation. It's an insult to humanity. Many of these meals uh, were unretrievable. We're going to be covering that. And another really important story, Jamal, the New York Times rape story that, was, uh, that came out a number of months ago continues to fall apart. A uh, leaked memo uh, that came out that was reported both in The Intercept and The Washington uh, Post notes that there were profound divisions and, and questions about that story that it came out. It continues to fall apart in terms of how it was presented. And in addition, it appears that the internal leak of the New York Times targeted Arab, Muslim, brown people, black people at the New York Times uh, trying to investigate how this report was leaked. We're going to be covering the Listen to Michigan vote, which we spoke about last week, Jamal, over 100,000 Michiganders voted uncommitted. In last week's primary, we have another primary coming up. We're going to be covering that. And Joe Biden is in trouble, Jamal. His unapproval and disapproval ratings are the highest they've ever been. And in fact, Trump is leading on approval, if you can believe this, between the two candidates by some 6%. Anyways, we have a lot to cover today. It's a very uh, important show. And uh, let's get right into it. Let's begin with uh, really the, I would say, another massacre within this larger genocide picture that's happening in Gaza, Jess. At least 112 people were killed and more than 750 were wounded as they were lining up to receive flour, you know, aid. Basically, they were lining up the trucks, entered a couple of trucks, few trucks entered to distribute flour and the Israelis started to shoot at them. Now, Israel has changed its story. This is very important. They've changed their story three times to cover up their lies, okay? The first time when this broke, and uh, they said 
we didn't shoot at anyone. We weren't even nearby. That was the first story. And, and then that was actually, the story was so disturbing that Biden called for an investigation. Of course, called right. for an investigation, Israel to investigate itself as usual. Right. Like imagine now bringing a murderer or a rapist and ask them to investigate their own crime. Exactly. So, so that's, that's the thing. They didn't send a, a team, but there were so many eyewitnesses, human rights organizations on the ground, and, and the truck drivers themselves, and, of course, the injured who were coming into the hospital or the deceased who were transported to, to the morgues had bullet wounds, okay? Exactly. Now, some died from the, from the stampede, and we'll talk about this, okay? So... The Israel attacked these trucks, okay, and a stampede started. They're shooting at them, and the truck drivers panicked because also the truck drivers were afraid they were getting shot at, that they ran over some of these poor people who were lining up. You know, Israel said, now the second part of the story after the testimonies started to come out the eyewitness reports the the videos the proof uh, right. seeing people with bullet wounds right. uh, as they've been brought to the hospitals uh, the israeli second story they've said oh the you know they they killed themselves. No, sorry. The second story was that they've killed themselves. Like Palestinians just killed themselves because of the they shot. They said they shot. They shot them. They shot in the air. They said they shot in the air. That was the we shot in the air to disperse the crowds and the Palestinians stampede. They caused the stampede and and basically this is how they died. The third story they said. We shot at them and shot in the air because our troops felt in danger and we killed 10. Imagine, they counted. They, they wanted to minimize the number. The number is now, at least that I know of, is 112, right. maybe higher because they, they had 750 wounded. Some of them might have died because of their wounds. And they said, oh, but we only killed 10 by mistake because the troops felt in danger yes. from... Children and women and elderly men who were lining up, they were basically starving to death. They felt in danger because they were rushing to receive uh, their uh, food uh, from, from the trucks. So this cover-up, I mean, including the Biden's administration cover-up that, they that they've said, oh, we'll wait, you know, because if you heard all these different uh, spokesmen for the State Department and others, you know what they were saying, Jess? Oh, there are two versions of the story. We oh, haven't, yes. We, we haven't gotten oh, all our facts right. That's right. There's no facts, Jamal. Just 112 men, women, and children murdered. We have eyewitness reports from doctors in the hospital, by the way, uh, documenting uh, carefully not just a single uh, bullet wound for some of the, some of the people who were uh, killed, and shot to death, Jamal, but multiple people with multiple bullet wounds in their bodies. Uh, and as you said, of the 750 who were injured, who also received bullet wounds or who were injured from the stampede, we're hearing now that a number of them may also die. So this, this lie, this, this kind of propaganda that the White House continues to portray, oh, there's two stories, 
it's the same kind of um, bizarre kind of propaganda that the Biden administration has has been perpetrating for the entire massacre, Jamal. It's it's really the genocide that's occurring right now. The way the Biden administration has portrayed it is well. You know, we we are trying to investigate it. We're not sure. We think, well, blah, blah, blah. Well, in reality, Jamal, and we're going to get to this, the insistence of the Biden administration to lie, to dissemble, to not give the world and the United States and our electorate the reality and the facts of what's happening is going to cause severe damage to the credibility of this country and eventually to uh, his potential for re-election. We're going to get into all of that. But these lies, well, we know the Israelis are going to lie, Jamal. They always lie. They continue to lie. They will always lie. But the fact that the United States is participating in this propaganda cover-up of the, of the massacre on top of the genocide will come back to haunt the uh, Biden administration in a deep way. And I might add, just, just to put a little thing on this, I actually... You know, when the Israelis say that uh, they feel threatened, well, the reality is, is that for Palestinians, their existence feels threatening to the Israelis. And that's how they, genif- that, how they justify the genocide and the massacres. It's, it's kind of a moral depravity that we see escalating right now. It is. And, and then to listen to Joe Biden, uh, as you've mentioned earlier, he was... He was uh, insinuating that a ceasefire is going to happen. Oh, what this, a joke, this, man. This, what this a Monday. joke. What and a this joke. happens basically in between, as he was talking about this, you know, shortly a- uh, afterwards, he was talking about, oh, we're going to reach a ceasefire. And you know, the ceasefire that they're talking about is 60 days, and with the release of all the hostages, with no other promises of withdrawing from Gaza. It's, it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, it's like a gimmick. They're providing gimmicks, so the latest of which, which we should update, now they're saying that Israel accepted that, and now we're waiting on Hamas. You know what they're waiting on, as I've said? They're waiting on Hamas to say, yeah, we're going to release all the Israeli hostages, the only car that Hamas is holding on them. And most of these hostages, I have to add, are the military ones, because they've released the elderly and women and so forth. And now, afterwards... After 60 days, and the whole reason they're talking about 60 days, I don't know if it's 60 days or 45 days, but anyway. I think 45 days. I think, it's six yeah, weeks. I think it's 45 it's days. And that coincides with Ramadan, which is uh, going to be this uh, coming up in, within the next week, to calm down um, basically the, the natives. This is the whole idea. It's like we're not going to do any, we're not going to commit any murders during Ramadan, the month of Ramadan, because they know how sensitive this month is to Muslims. And we're going to calm you down, but after you have Ramadan and you have your holiday, Eid al-Fitr afterwards, we're going to continue the slaughter. And we have well, other plans that, for you. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's exactly right, Jamal. This is just a ploy by the Israelis to, to kind of uh, approach Ramadan with, with an understanding of more propaganda. And we know what the propaganda is. We will, we will make, as you said, things will calm down during Ramadan because they know that the, that for the 1.345 billion Muslims in the world, that all eyes are going to be on Palestine. All eyes are going to be on Al-Aqsa. All eyes are going to be on Palestinians in, in Gaza. And the continued starvation and famine of Palestinians in Gaza during Ramadan will create 
even more outrage globally. And I might add, Jamal, the outrage that is being created uh, by these moral depravities that the United States and Israel is creating transcends just the Muslim community globally. We're seeing, you know, just yesterday, we saw every major city in the world have a massive globalized uh, uh, protest and uprising against these Israeli massacres and genocide that are occurring in Gaza right now. So um, the Israelis, you know, they never miss an opportunity to to kind of create havoc. They never miss an opportunity to create economic uh, deprivations and political problems for themselves. They are going full steam ahead. And I have a prediction, Jamal, and you know me in predictions. I don't think that the genocide is going to stop during Ramadan. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I doubt significant progress will be made. And there'll be any, I mean, certainly the starvation and the famine in Gaza is not going to change during Ramadan, really. Well, I see uh, everything that they're doing is all about public relations. And I'm talking about the Israelis are doing this whole thing around Ramadan, around public re uh, relations, because they don't want uh, a major unrest in the West Bank, because that's, that's going to happen when they start preventing Absolutely. people from going to the Al-Aqsa Al Mosque. And when people are seeing during Ramadan that Israel continues its slaughter, the Biden administration thinks by doing these little steps that they are going to calm down the Arab American community and the Muslim American community, and he's going to get back, you know, like miraculously his votes that he lost and, uh, you know. Bye-bye, Biden. Bye-bye. No, no. I mean, this is really, I mean, and you'll see, and we'll talk, and the next story actually will 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 attest to this, uh, uh, Jess. And also, you mentioned, yeah, all eyes on Al-Aqsa Mosque, and I'm talking about the maybe the population, but not the, you know, when you mentioned the Arab world, the Arab world governments are sleeping, the, including the Muslim world, with the exception of the few, few countries like Yemen and others, and maybe Indonesia. They're all asleep, and they don't want to be disturbed. Because, you know, Ramadan has its own festivities and Ramadan uh, is the big blockbuster TV for soap operas. They call them Musal Salat. They don't want to have this disturbed by people turning on and watching Al Jazeera or other news channels and seeing kids being slaughtered. I would say every single one that I've named, it's all about public relations, has nothing to do with stopping the slaughter of. Palestinian children and women. Don't believe this is all a hype. And it no. might work. And the reason it might work is because Palestinians in Gaza are so desperate. Hamas is so desperate to save the population there, you know, that they might accept something that they would regret in the future. And I would say if they release the hostages without a commitment of a full ceasefire and a full withdrawal of Israeli tanks and troops from Gaza, Hamas would live to regret this. No, I think you're exactly right, Jamal. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I have a slightly different take. I don't believe Hamas is going to do that. I do not believe they're going to accept uh, that kind of condition of ceasefire of releasing all the hostages for six weeks. I just don't think it's going to happen. And and I, I'm going to make uh, another uh, suggestion, and I wonder how you think about this. I don't believe uh, globally Muslims during Ramadan are going to be able to be festive this Ramadan 
full stop. Even if there is a ceasefire, I think on the street, by and large, Muslims globally are going to turn on their TV. And if it's a choice between, you know, uh, you know, watching the traditional uh, soap opera or seeing what's on Al Jazeera with the, you know, the massacres and the genocide in Gaza, their attention is going to go to Palestinians in Gaza. I don't believe that the people of the Muslim world, of the Arab world, are going to be asleep. The leaders want it to be asleep, but I do believe that people are going to be feeling even more connection to what's happening in Gaza right now. And I think this this six-week period coming up is going to be even more unrest. That's that's what I'm anticipating. But maybe you have a slightly different read of what's happening on the street. I do. I think you'll see more unrest in the West Bank, and that's why Israel keeps cracking down on on uh, towns and villages, especially Jenin, where you have uh, right uh, armed fighters there. But I disagree with you about. Uh, I think the. Arab and Muslim world, they've just like asleep. They've been smoking opium and they're on opium and they're drugged up. And the demonstrations that we see, yes, we see some there, but really the global movement is happening in the global south and in the European and, and of course, the United States by youth, by Arab Americans, by Muslim Americans. That's where you're seeing the momentum that has not stopped. I don't see demonstrations in Saudi Arabia, Just This is the country that claims that it protects the Islamic uh, shrines. You know, the, you know they, the king of Saudi Arabia refers to himself as the protector of Al-Aqsa and Al-Haram al-Sharif and so forth. They had one demonstrator, I think an in- Indonesian woman carrying a, a Palestinian flag and they arrested her. You right. know, uh, doing al-Umrah in, 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 in Mecca. So I don't see demonstrations happening in the UAE. I don't see demonstrations happening anywhere. Even in Egypt, which is the, the largest population of Arabs, more than 100 million people there live in Egypt. They've been subdued. A lot of those people are afraid from their own governments. Look at the demonstrations, uh, you know, in comparison in London. Look at the demonstrations in the United States on college campuses. Look in the United States every time you have Biden trying to speak, his wife or Kamala Harris, they get interrupted by students, by young men asking for a ceasefire, calling for, for a ceasefire and shaming them for allowing the slaughter. You don't see that in the Arab world. I watch all the media there. I monitor the satellite TV channels. They try, yeah, they have the press releases and, you know, the, uh, what I call it, uh, protocol news. They condemn this and they condemn that. Listen, we're going to move, talk to our... Uh, about our next story, which is the airdrop, and that's another oh. public relation things. What a disaster. What a disaster. Egypt what? is next door. The trucks the, are in Egypt. You right. can literally go to the Egyptian border by the wall and throw food and right. throw supplies. This is not happening. The trucks are being held up at the border. So right. the next story, of course, now again, back to President Biden, after he sees this massacre, he authorizes the U.S. Air Force, or I guess the U.S. Air Force military, to airdrop, right, 38,000 uh, ready-made meals. 
uh, over Gaza. Now, this is this is not a trend that the United States started. In fact, this whole airdrop is coordinated or was coordinated by the U.S. Central Command and the Royal Jordanian Air Force, right? right. Uh, which started it. Jordan actually started it, and then France followed suit, and and a couple of other countries did the same thing, and and so so they uh, sent. Uh, Three uh, C-130, the United States and C- three C-130 cargo planes dropped uh, 66 total bundles, equating to about 38,000 meals uh, by the seashore in Gaza. Yes, sounds a lot. 38,000 meals no, it does. No, for it a 2.2 million people. Do you know it how does. many truckloads are uh, filled these? 2,000, uh, I mean, uh, 38,000 meals, two truckloads. Right. Two truckloads. That's two truckloads. You have hundreds of truckloads. Imagine the president of the United States, think about it, who gives Israel billions and billions of dollars. Now they're fighting in Congress when they're going to release the next payment on top of another payment. Cannot order the Israelis to allow these trucks, you know, exactly. that they've been stopped by a bunch of hoodlums, you know, settlers uh, in their way, and Israel plays this game. Oh, we cannot, the people are stopping those, etc. That he has to resort to what Jordan had done, dropping just symbolically 38,000 meals for a population of $2.2 well, uh, $2 well, million. Dollars. Yeah, what let me does just... this tell you about his in global influence? Well, this is what I think it tells you, Jamal. Let, let's be clear. Joe Biden has sent more bombs to Israel to kill Palestinians than he has sent meals. Let's just be clear about it. He has sent more ammunition to Israel to kill Palestinians than he sent meals. This propaganda disaster for the Biden administration, he knew what happened in Michigan. He knew that the uncommitted vote was over 100,000 people. He's going to get slammed in the Tuesday elections you know, coming up this week, which we're going to talk about. He announced the ceasefire before it even happened. That ended up being a tremendous failure. He saw the massacre of Palestinians by the Israeli military, and he, as president of the United States, can do nothing to stop this massacre. So what does he do? He he drops meals from the sky Half of which, by the way, are floating in the in, in the you know in, in the sea, unable to reach uh, the starving Palestinians uh, uh, in Gaza right now. It's a complete joke. And the way the White House spun this: oh, uh, humanitarian aid dropped. Biden administration feeding Palestinians. It was insulting to Palestinians. It's insulting to the world community. Everybody sees. Two things, Jamal, that Biden is complicit in massacres and genocide, and Biden can do nothing, absolutely nothing, to stop this massacre that Israel is committing right now. And as I said, they're sending more bombs than they sent food. So what is the world community? What are voters to think about Joe Biden, Jamal? Yes, he green-lighted this massacre. He green-lighted this genocide. And now he wants to walk up walk back some of it sorry to walk back some of it because sorry. we saw the numbers plummeting and we we will talk about this next and and this is like every time he does something it just like 
gets digs, worse. Digs, digs him deeper. Uh, you know, it's a joke. He he thinks that the media is going to just slap. Everybody's going to watch this and they're going to say, bravo, the United States dropping food. They're saving rescuing people. You have over 2,000 trucks lining up outside the uh, Gaza. He cannot order Netanyahu to to allow them in. You know, Ronald Reagan during the war uh, on Israel's war in the 80s on Lebanon, uh, after Sabra and Shatila, you know, he basically forced them to stop. That's right. And 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 send 800, of course, it cost 800 Marines their lives, which, by the way, the Mossad knew about what's going to happen to them, but they decided not to report it to the United States. But that's a different story. And and now Joe Biden cannot tell uh, Benjamin Netanyahu that we're going to stop military aid to Israel. We're not going to stop writing that blank check. So you better allow these these yeah. food supplies, you better withdraw your troops or they, you better stop shooting at these poor civilians. He's inept. He cannot do that. He and is. he's going to lose because of this. And he, That's right. I don't think he cares anymore or I don't think he's even aware of it. Well, you know, it's interesting, Jamal, because I think, uh, you know, there's a piece of Biden that, that kind of knows that he's dug himself into a hole. And they're trying all these things. All the people around Biden are trying all these things, you know, trying to kiss up to Arab Americans in Michigan. That failed. Trying to drop these ridiculous uh, food, you know, airlift food into, you know, 2.3 million starving Palestinians with 38,000 meals. No one believes it. But I think the reality right now is that the Biden team is really freaking out. And we're going to talk about all the details about why it's freaking out. But they're so freaked out, Jamal, that they are now not telling and advertising for both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden when they are doing campaign events. They don't announce it anymore for the reason that you announced before. And they're not going to college campuses. No. They're avoiding going to college campuses. And they won't. And they won't go because the optics, as the Biden people like to say, of people, you know, standing up and yelling at Biden, calling him Genocide Joe, or confronting Kamala Harris, talking about reproductive rights while Palestinian women are dying in labor. Uh, this is not op- This is not good optics. They don't care about Palestinians dying. They don't. What they care about is the optics. And if you look at the numbers, and these numbers are from the New York Times that just came out, if you look at the numbers, Biden is in a world of hurt when it comes to the 2024 election. Let's so, talk about the uncommitted, Jess. Uh, well, I just want to, before, before we get, we to, get that, to the yeah. numbers. Okay, let me just talk about the uncommitted, Jamal. I just want to say something. Listen to Michigan. That's all I got to say. Listen to Michigan. Go for it. Well, the uncommitted <laughs> defeated Biden in Dearborn, in Dearborn Heights, and Hamtrak, where basically the Democratic voters voiced their opposition to Biden's support of Israel in its war against uh, um, Gaza. You have more than 100,000 people who voted uncommitted. 13% of the vote, Jamal. Trump won by 10,000 votes. Okay. Hello? Wake up, Joe. Biden lost 56% to 40% in Dearborn. 48% to 47% in Dearborn Heights. 
61% to 32% in Hamtramck. Uh, and this is this is and and then of course all the other numbers are are very close and the movement is going to continue. This is not just relegated to to Detroit. They've set a precedent, and that's why now they're scrambling. They've sent actually just two days ago another group to meet with the Arab and Muslim communities in in Dearborn. What a joke! Yeah, what they're joke. they're they're basically in a, in a panic mode. But and now we can go to the to the uh, talk about the uh, the disapproval just oh, of Joe but, Biden's just, performance. But hold on. But wait, before you get to that, Jamal, I just want to say this uncommitted listen to Michigan group that's forming that in Michigan. I should tell you that that whole campaign has uh, expanded dramatically in the Super Tuesday, uh, you know, uh, primaries that are coming up this Tuesday. It's in it's in Idaho. It's in uh, Washington State. It's in all the states, including to some extent in in California. But it's spreading like wildfire. That, as you said, it's not relegated just to Michigan. It's it's kind of morphing nationally right now. This uncommitted listen to Michigan idea that you know don't vote for Biden. You know, so they're in a world of hurt. But I'm curious about what the numbers say. Yeah, and and the other thing, aside from just the uncommitted. They've they've done poll after poll, aside from the people who are going deliberately and saying we're going to vote, but we're going to vote uncommitted. By the way, in California, uh, on on the ballot, there is room for you to write uncommitted. So that, that you don't have to have that campaign if you dislike basically Biden, dislike Trump, uh, or vote for a third party candidate. But at the same time, what they're seeing is. A lot of people are not going to go out to and vote. That's right, and 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 that's a nightmare to the Biden administration. Uh, Obama won because he managed managed through the grassroots efforts to mobilize African Americans and mobilize the young people to vote for him. A lot of people are going to say, you know what? We're disgusted with Biden. We're disgusted with Trump. We'll just stay at home, and exactly. that plays in the hands of the Republican Party because. They'd rather not have a lot of turnout. So if you have a low turnout, the low turnout plays in favor of Donald Trump because, you know, his base, they are very dedicated. Right. They are going to go out and vote. So Rain talking about the uh, disapproval of Joe Biden's performance, it has reached 47%, the highest negative polling number at any point of his presidency. This is according to... A recent poll that was published this uh, Saturday, done by the Siena College, which conducted the poll commissioned by the New York Times, that showed that Biden currently lags behind uh, likely, of course, most likely Republican candidate Donald Trump, 43% to 48% in registered voters nationally. The voters, uh, the survey also found that just one in four voters, 24%, think the country is moving in the right direction. Uh, I just got to say, I want to say two things, Jamal. Bye-bye, genocide, Joe. These numbers are terrible. For a sitting incumbent president facing another election, these are among the worst numbers. This is almost as bad as, uh, as the George Bush the first and Jimmy Carter 
who were uh, one-term presidents, you know, uh, uh, who who failed to kind of win a second term. These numbers are terrible for Joe Biden. And the issue, Jamal, is that these numbers and what's happening in Palestine and the genocide and these massacres are only going to get worse. Young voters will continue to turn away. And I just want to share with you another interesting number about the Senate race in California. So in the Senate race for California right now, we have um, five candidates, right? Four Democrats, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, Barbara Lee, and uh, there's one more, and Steve Garvey, who's a Republican. Let me ask you a question, Jamal. The latest poll that just came out, you have four Republican candidates and one Republican candidate for Senate. Guess who's leading the polls in the uh, senatorial race uh, in California? Who is leading the Steve poll? Garvey, the Republican. There is a real chance, Jamal, that the next one of the next senators from the state of California, which is, hasn't happened in decades and decades and decades, could very well be a Republican, Steve Garvey. And you want to know why? Because Adam Schiff is a shill for Israel. Adam Schiff has not called for a ceasefire. Uh, Adam Schiff, who's supposed to be the de facto next Senate uh, senator from California, is being pummeled in the polls. And um, I have breaking news for... That's why we've been seeing a lot of those ads on TV, I guess. Right, right. And so I just want, I just want the Democratic Party to realize that your fidelity and your commitment to a genocidal apartheid state is going to cost you the Senate, could cost you the House, and is going to cost you the presidency because you've hitched your wagon to an apartheid genocidal state. And you know what's, you know what's weird to me, Jamal? They see the numbers, but, uh, but they're not changing. They're doubling down. They're tripling down. They're continuing to support uh, the genocide, continuing to support Israel, continue to send it weapons, even though they see this ship is sinking. It sounds to me politically like the Titanic, Jamal. Yeah, and, and you know, what, what's so silly about them is that they, aside from covering up for Israel and aside from re, uh, repeating the phrase, Israel has the right to defend itself, and uh, uh, there was a ceasefire before October 7, you know, that, that kind of language, ignoring the plight of Palestinians for 75 years under occupation and all the ethnic cleansing that is going on. So what they're playing now, and they think that this will work, with the young people. They think they are basically think everybody is dumb around them. They're playing now the scare tactic that uh, the Trump administration was using, trying to scare off uh, Muslim Americans and Arab Americans by saying, well, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you're going to get Trump and Trump is worse. And that's that's what that, that's their entire answer. They feel that this is going to work, that they have nine months to work on this, win back all these young voters, win back all, all the votes, you know, of the minorities and Arabs and Muslims who are living in this country. And they're not. They're not. It's, it's I, not. I, I guarantee you one thing. If Joe Biden now orders and succeeds, Netanyahu to call for a ceasefire and forces Israel to withdraw. It's not going to change the outcome. It won't. It's not going to change the outcome. People are disgusted with him. 
But listen, Jamal, I think you're exactly right, man. The 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 Biden administration and the campaign have dug themselves deep in a hole and they can't get out of it. And no matter what they do now, it's too late because we've had 30,000 Palestinians who've been murdered. We've had 14,000 children who've been murdered. We have 2.3 million people who are facing famine and starving to death. You have the 1.5, 1.6 million internally displaced. You have 70% of the homes in Gaza, Jamal, being completely destroyed. Does anybody really in the Biden administration think that if they even got a ceasefire, that people would change their minds about this morally depraved uh, uh, foreign policy of supporting Israel no matter what is going to save Joe Biden? I have breaking news for the Biden administration. These numbers are going to get worse. And it doesn't matter that uh, Donald Trump is indicted. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump is convicted. It doesn't matter. The Democrats have are going to bring us Donald Trump, and they have to pay the price for this. They have to take responsibility for this. It is too late, Jamal, for the Democrats to right this Titanic ship. The ship is sinking, and it's going to sink even more. And they don't see it, and they don't see it. So I agree with you 100%. It doesn't matter now. I, th- I think they see it by their body their heads in the sand, or they think that uh, people are stupid. They have short, they suffer from sh- uh, from memory Amne- loss. <laughs> from amnesia, right? Yeah, that's, that, they're dumbing down basically the voters. They're dumbing down the constituency. That's, this is what people, I believe this, this yeah. upper echelon, the leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're so used, used to like getting the votes and, and receiving the money from, the, 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 from donors. And they think it's a, it's, it's, it's just nothing's going to change that. Well, and maybe we are, you know, this is a whole different, uh, this is going to be a whole different outcome. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen because people aren't going to respond to fear. The idea that, oh, Donald Trump is worse than Joe Biden. First of all, nobody believes that. Nobody believes that anymore. That's a bogus analysis. Young voters don't believe it. People don't believe it, and these numbers are reflect the fact that that kind of scare tactic, as you described it, is not going to work this time. The second thing is the more apathy, the more uh, this global kind of uprising against the Israeli genocide uh, continues to grow, young voters will do two things, as we've described. They'll either vote for a third-party candidate or they're not going to vote at all. And that's a generational shift. And the Democrats are going to not only pay a price, Jamal, but I think for the first time uh, in modern political history, we're beginning to see a wake-up call that this commitment to apartheid Israel, no matter what, is actually not in the U.S. interest anymore. I think we're going to see that for the first time. But we're going to have to live through four more years of Trump to, to get that, unfortunately. So we're going to talk about our final story, uh, Jess. And uh, before we start, I have to give credit, uh, to, you know, to uh, Ali Abunima and the Electronic Intifada, right. Max Bilmanthal, right. the in his group, uh, Gray Zone, the Intercept. So uh, for their investigative, basically journalism. And this is another story, yet another story about the New York Times spreading lies and rumors. And before we even start talking about the story, we have to talk about the New York Times record during the Iraq war 
with their lead uh, writer, Judith Miller. What a disaster. Writing about uh, weapons of mass destruction, and the Iraqis were uh, uh, importing uh, aluminum tubes and talking about yellow cake. And then we find out later on that all the information that she received was leaked to her by, uh, by uh, what's his name, Scooter Libby. Uh, basically, she's getting it from U.S. intelligence, which, by the way, that's what they, to, to really confirm what, uh, at the time, Secretary of State Colin Powell, who went to the United Nations Security Council and had that show and tell about the Iraqi military moving weapons of mass destructions on, on, on train and so forth. So it took the New York Times one year, one year. And during that one year, we had a war. A million Iraqis died. Right. And all the Americans who died, basically all the American soldiers who died, uh, basically because of a, I don't want to call it a practical joke, a sick joke. Sick joke. A sick joke and a, and, and a lie about weapons of mass destruction. And, 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 and this was the source was the New York Times, Judith Miller. They, now we don't hear about her. She disappeared. They fired her. But it took them one year to say, oops, we oops. made a mistake. We made a mistake and we didn't do our homework and the information. We didn't look into the sources, etc. So now... There's another story that's now unraveling, and we're yeah. waiting for the New York Times to apologize. And this is the story written by a former Israeli intelligence officer with the Israeli Air Force. Exactly. Her name is Anat Schwartz. So she's the one, she's behind that story in the New York Times, basically, just saying with no, you know, that scandal is growing. Again, uh, no proof that uh, mass rape, that Hamas committed mass rape when it invaded on October 7th, you know, their fighters October 7th. And this is a claim that, again, I have to say, that's been thoroughly debunked in early January, Jess. So now the New York Times has been asked and uh, and this Schwartz has been asked, and her co-authors have been asked to provide more evidence. They don't have it Jamal. to provide. You know, usually when you have these rape stories, you have the victim testifying, you have eyewitness reports, etc. And basically, they, you know, have nothing, nothing to show it for. It's actually worse, Jamal. A family member of one of the protagonists, one of the key witnesses, came forth and said that the testimony provided by their own family member was not verified, could not be confirmed, and is not true. This is the family member of the key witness, the key person providing testimony. Her own family uh, were, were not able to confirm what she said. And I think this story is really kind of huge, Jamal. When you contextualize it with Judith Miller after the Iraq War and the, and the New York Times failing the world community, 
they set into place after that time, if you remember, more safeguards so that they said, this will never happen again. We have all of these internal safeguards. It won't happen again. And guess what? It's happening again. And the New York Times is refusing to apologize, is refusing to come clean on this. They did do something which was interesting. They were scheduled to do a big podcast on this. Canceled. You know, and they canceled it, Jamal. I wonder why they canceled it. They were, If they're so committed to this story and the veracity of this story, why did they cancel the big you know, podcast that was going to verify all this? They canceled it at the last minute. I wonder why. It's and more revelations keep coming up, Jess. Yeah, the leak, the leak investigation. The right. leak investigation, what Intercept has reported uh, and translated from a Hebrew uh, podcast that uh, Annette Schwartz gave. Right. And these are her quotes when she was like asked about her evidence. She said, I have no qualifications to conduct such a sensitive and complex journalistic assignment. <laughs> what? You wrote, they've, they, this is someone admitting they have no qualifications and they are now in, in the New York Times. Then just, and I'm sorry, I have to read her quotes here. And then uh, she was asked about, well, did you verify, did you speak to hospitals? Uh, you know, like usually rapists, are, I mean, rape victims are taken to hospitals or whatever. She said, no, no complaint of sexual assault was received. This is to Channel 12, by the way, the Israeli Channel Channel 12. I had a lot of interviews which didn't lead anywhere. Like I would go to all kinds of psychiatric hospitals, sit in front of the staff. All of them are fully committed to the, to the mission, and no one had met a victim of sexual assault. This is the person who wrote this article with the help of two others. Yeah. And now yeah. she's admitting she has no... She has not interviewed any rape victims. She, uh, the, the, the hospitals that she, she reached out to hospitals, they said, we didn't receive any rape victims. We have nothing to tell you about that. Yet the New York Times publishes this long expose as a fact, which is a total lie. It's a hoax. It's a big hoax, Jamal. And we have to thank uh, The Intercept. We have to thank Electronic Intifada, Ali Abu Nema for putting this out. And the New York Times has to come clean. They have to apologize. And Jamal, as long as we're talking about the New York Times, I, I feel obligated to talk about what they just posted within the last 24 hours. The headline, they wanted to write about Palestinians who've been murdered in Gaza. And you know what the title was of this uh, article about uh, Palestinians in Gaza who were murdered. The title, Jamal, was Lives Lost in Gaza. Lives Lost in Gaza. So, Jamal, my question for you, Lives Lost. What happened to these Palestinians? Who murdered them? Who killed them? Did you see what the New York Times is doing? They don't even it, mention the word Palestinian, basically, no, in the article. No, no, And they that's as if, Jamal, these Palestinians, these men, these women, these children who are murdered by Israel, murdered, just it, just it just happened. The lives were somehow lost. Not genocide, not massacre, not starvation, not at the hands of the Israeli military. So I think, Jamal, this uh, rape story, which continues to unravel before the New York Times, 
together with this reporting, which continues to dehumanize Palestinian lives as if they just happened to die, really puts a stain, yet another stain, on the New York Times, the so-called um, you know, arbiter of truth, uh, the, the, the newspaper of history, of record for the United States. What a joke, Jamal. This is an insult to all journalists. It's an insult to people who take the New York Times seriously. And I think the New York Times has to be condemned. They absolutely have to be condemned. And one more thing, because you've mentioned about uh, that these claims were denied, because I have to mention the one person that the New York Times used, they called her the woman in black, Gal Abdush. And then when contacted, the, her family was contacted. So the rape claims were denied. By her family. Her family, by her That's family. That's what I said. That's and what this I is, said. This is the woman in black that they refer to. Uh, Gail Abdush's sister also mentions her family was manipulated by the New York Times and not told uh, this article was about rape. They didn't even tell them what they were investigating. They just wanted someone. They said this is this, and they were manipulated by them. And talking about the New York Times. Ha, uh, about uh, sanitizing news when it comes to the death of Palestinians. They have a standing policy to always refer to Palestinians as dead or they've died. When they refer to Israelis, they say they've been killed. So Palestinians uh, mysteriously die. Mysteriously die, Jamal. They just and, happen but that's, to die. That's a standing policy in almost all of its editorials. But now with this thing here, again, this is, again, I have to remind our listeners and, re and remind them about Judith Miller. This Annette Schwartz story is not different. It's not any different than that oh, story. I think, it's, I think it's worse, Jamal, because Judith Miller, you know, was prior to this a bona fide journalist. Yeah, but she committed this, a horrible, like one did. million people died in died. Iraq. Yeah, but let's look. Annette Schwartz is not a journalist. Not Schwartz did not claims work to be for, a filmmaker, but but this 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 story was not vetted. This story was not independently reviewed. All of the internal uh, checks and balances that the New York Times says that it that it does were completely bypassed. And this is a part of the story, Jamal, that I mentioned before. The uh, newsroom at the New York Times, the New York Times reporters on the payroll, real journalists, questioned the New York Times about this faulty reporting. And you know what happened to those people? Because they leaked the story, they're being investigated by the New York Times. There's a witch hunt within the New York Times against brown, black, people of color who are real journalists who dare to question the veracity and the asymmetry and the hypocrisy of the New York Times. The New York Times has failed the world again, Jamal. They failed. They failed in Iraq, and they're failing in Gaza, and they need to be called out. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll speak to you next week. We'll see you next week.